Hello and welcome to episode five of Taboo Talk, the podcast brought to you by Boots that asks the taboo health and well-being questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Vogue Williams, and today I'll be joined by two brilliant guests to talk all things vulvas and vaginas. Okay, yes, this episode is about the vag. Fanny, fuff, muff, minge, and good old-fashioned lady garden. Why? Because they're not talked about enough, and that's a problem we want to rectify. What is and isn't normal when it comes to our genitals is a subject steeped in secrecy and shame. People are just too embarrassed to ask questions about everything from which bits do what, what it's all called and what it all should look like to the impact of waxing, period products, excessive cleaning and contraception. Then there's the health concerns that are being hushed up and hidden, including yeast infections, painful sex and changes in appearance or discharge. To discuss this and more, I'm joined by Anna Richardson and Dr. Dawn Harper. Anna presents Channel 4's genre-busting dating show Naked Attraction in which contestants choose potential dates based upon their naked bodies. The aim being to normalise normal bodies. She's been both on camera and behind it for 20 years presenting, writing and producing some of the UK's best love shows. She's also a qualified cognitive hypnotherapist and co-founder of Mindbox, a 24-hour online therapy service. Dr. Dawn has been an NHS doctor for over 30 years, as well as a sought-after medical expert on television. One of the hosts of Channel 4's hit series, Embarrassing Bodies, she's also a regular contributor to ITV's This Morning and recently had a smear test live on the show to demystify the process for other women and people with cervixes. For example, some trans men and non-binary folk. Now, before we dive in, I'd like to say to listeners that if you're affected by anything you hear in today's episode, please do contact your GP for further support as well as visit the Boots online doctor service. Boots also stocks hundreds of products that support vaginal and sexual health. Right, let's get to it. Uh, Don, this work film is for you, right? Um, This episode is called the Vulva Bible. What a lot of people might have expected to be called the Vagina Bible. Um, In fact, according to a 2019 body form survey, 73% of women don't know what a vulva is. I don't know what a vulva is. Dr. Don, welcome to the podcast. Tell us, what's a vulva? <laughs> Folks, you know, that, that takes me back actually to an early episode of Embarrassing Bodies. Um, and I was, I went to, to um, see a group of women doing some aerobics and I had said, you know, great, you're looking after your hearts. Um, how many of you examine your breasts? And they said, yes, you, most of them did. Um, and how many of you examine your vulvas? And you couldn't have actually scripted it any better because the, <laughs> the, the one lady just went, what's a vulva? Um, and so we sort of, we cut to sitting in a semicircle and going around and, and talking to people about what the vulva was. And most, most women didn't know. So basically it's all, all your female bits, if you like, down below. So it's the, it's the, the inner lips, the outer lips, the entrance to the vagina, all that area is your vulva. Um, and it's, but the, the problem we have is that we all probably use the word vagina quite openly and freely. Vulva is just not a term that we use in everyday conversation. And so it's, and so we have all these kind of strange names that we use, which means that people are a little confused as to exactly what it is. It, it, Anna, did you know? I knew it was, but I thought it was like inside and I Googled it last night. I was like, how did I not know that? It's so embarrassing. I know all about my vulva vogue. I know all about <laughs> yours. I know all about, I know all about everybody's vulva. 
Well, you are the vulva queen, in fairness. You've seen more than anyone in the world. I want that on my gravestone. I am the vulva queen. <laughs> yes, I do, because, uh, well, A, just because I went to an all-girls boarding school and, you know, we were all about each other's vulvas and talking about our bits and bobs. <laughs> but also because years ago I used to do a show for Channel 4 called The Sex Education Show and where we went around secondary schools teaching kids about sex and relationships. Yeah. And we had live naked models, even back then. We're talking about sort of, you know, at least 10 years ago. So, yes, we were, we, it was drilled into us about, it is not a vagina, it's a vulva. So, yes, I'm very comfortable with mine. Thank you. Yeah, well, I love mine too, but I just didn't know what it was. I just, <laughs> I think... I think in our school, like we never would have, I went to a, an all girls school as well. We were taught by nuns. Like it was very basic level education and vulva was just not a part of that or else I was asleep during that part. And also it's, it's quite a <laughs> weird like, word. Yeah. It's not the greatest word, but there's loads of words I don't like. Like they've written down words for here, me to say here and I'm like, I'm not saying that word because I think <laughs> everyone has their word for that. I call it either a vagine or a vajayjay or a fanula. What do you girls call us? <laughs> yeah, well, interestingly, that same episode that I just referred to, we, we then went round the room, there were about 20 women in the room, and said, right, you know, what do you call it? Uh, and we had everything, you know, lady garden, downstairs, front bottom, front fanny, <laughs> fanny, woo-woo. And we got right to the end, and actually it's not dissimilar to you, this lady said, you know, I feel a complete idiot now. She said, but in my family, we have all, always routinely called it a fanny. Fafangula. Yes. Yeah. I like so it's that not one. that it's not that dissimilar to you, is it really? <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> what do you call it, Anna? Oh, it's it's got a whole host of names, but maybe um probably Nunny. Nunny, that's nun, a nice one. Nunny. Oh, I feel like though my son's like asked, he started asking me and I call his a witty, a witty wonk. And then he's like, what's that? And I, I, I have to just say vagina. I can't be sending him out like saying vagine or something. <laughs> Dr. Dodd, do you have people coming into your surgery though asking you about like not knowing what a vulva is? No, I do have people coming in with vulval problems. And that's when I get all these funny euphemisms as, you know, my downstairs or my front bottom or whatever. But interestingly, I see more women since having worked on embarrassing bodies who come in with vulval related problems and are happy to talk to me. And they'll often say, oh, I don't mind seeing you because I've waited to see you because I know you don't mind seeing the embarrassing stuff, which, of course, is absolute rubbish because all doctors don't mind seeing the embarrassing stuff. You know, it isn't embarrassing to us. We've seen it all before. Yeah. But before embarrassing bodies... Honestly, very sadly, unless people were concerned about something like an STI, a sexually transmitted infection, very few people will come. And particularly ladies of my age, um, we know that just over half of postmenopausal women will suffer with vaginal dryness. And that can have a massive impact on relationships because to start off with, you avoid sex because it hurts. And for most people, some people enjoy painful sex, but for most of us, we don't don't want pain and if it hurts then you avoid it and then ultimately if nothing's done about it you avoid any form of intimacy for fear of it leading to penetration and and so actually I can't tell you even post embarrassing bodies I don't see enough women who are it's usually something that if for example I'm taking a smear or I'm examining for some other reason and I'll say is sex uncomfortable 
so often I will either get, um, what's that? Haven't done it for years. Um, or, oh, well, yeah, I'm, my, my husband or my partner is, is very long suffering, but, um, it's, yeah, it's kind of off, off games now. And that's sad. Can we turn this into a personal consultation here, though? Because I'm also yeah. menopausal and I've got to say, Dr. Dawn, yeah. The vaginal dryness, mm. what can you do about it? Okay, so there are a number of things you can do about it. So I worked with a company um, in Germany who showed me some studies that they'd done. So classically what we would do is even if you don't want HRT, you can have estrogen cream or estrogen pessaries on prescription that you pop up inside. And they literally just work locally. So they, they don't have all the risks associated with HRT. Although I have to say I'm a massive fan of HRT. It's not the devil incarnate, but we'll, mm. that's another subject altogether. But some women genuinely don't want to go down the hormonal route. Those hormones can be used literally locally and they're very effective. But even if you don't want to use hormones like that, there is a, a, a vaginal cream, non-hormonal cream that you can buy over the counter in a pharmacist. And of course, pharmacies today do have nice confidential cubicles so you don't have to ask for you know vaginal cream whilst the lady next door to you is buying her nail varnish <laughs> or a hairspray you know to, to announcing it to the entire pharmacy and they're very knowledgeable people so you can actually buy um, a non-hormonal cream over the counter and that and that works very effectively for most women and in fact in the study that these people were showing me it was as effective as the hormone cream or pessary in mild to moderate so when you get very what we call a trophic tissues where sometimes the labia start to fuse and everything is, is very dried up and the vagina gets smaller and so on then you probably do need to be thinking about hormones i mean yeah. uh, can we just, I'm, I'm really sorry we, we have to talk about this more your labial lips vogue your labia can Girls. actually fuse this is together. like honestly this is not fair. I've just had a baby and there's a whole load of other stuff going on there. And now I'm like, great. My lips are going to, flaps, I would say, which is probably an awful word, are going to fuse together next. Yeah. So, well, we were talking earlier about, like, it's nice that we're bringing this up and talking about this now, but like in schools, you went around, Anna, obviously, and you went and you spoke to kids and you had naked people I think naked people just follow you around all the time. Am I right? Well, it's a little bit like, you know, what was that film? It's like, I see dead people. Um, yeah. I, I, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. I, I've got a version of Sixth Sense where I just see naked people. They're fully clothed, <laughs> but in my head, they've got no clothes on. <laughs> but do you think, though, like, that sounds amazing to me. If that had happened in my school, obviously we were, all would have sat there laughing at the stars. But, like, it would have been nice to learn things that way. Do you think it's getting better in schools or worse? No, I, I think it's remained exactly the same as it was 10, 15 yeah. years ago. And, you know, that really depresses me because I don't think we're any further forward with with PHSE curriculum and, and, and education. Sadly, I think it's really difficult because I don't think it should be left to teachers to have to do this. I think it yeah. is down to parents. And if parents feel uncomfortable about doing it, then it is down to um, having a, a homogenised um, curriculum across the board for all schools because kids are getting their information from porn and from the yeah. internet and from each other and we all know where that leads hence no pubic hair and girls getting sort of throttled during sex because boys mm. think that's what we're into yeah I think well I think it's important for parents to sit down and do it and we will do it what age do you think that you should do it when you have kids 
Personally, I mean, I, I don't have children, but I'm around kids an awful lot. I think the, the, the sooner the better that you start to mm. teach children about respect for A, to teach them about the body, as you're doing with, with, with your kids, but B, to talk about respect and respectful relationships. And really, really important, I think, to model that as parents for them to see you and your other half being respectful yeah. towards each other as well. Yeah, I do think they could pick it up a little bit in schools as well. There's a lot more education to be had there. And it's probably less embarrassing as like when my mom gave me a book when I was 10, it's less embarrassing than having to sit and do that with her where I didn't learn very much either. No, it would exactly. I think we have the same book at 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I can say I'm that little bit older than you. And honestly, our sex education at my all girls day school involves a very embarrassed spinster biology teacher. And I kid you not, she had an empty toilet roll and two ping pong balls. Oh. And she had an empty box of Cadbury's chocolate. And she was trying to demonstrate penetration using these as her as her props. And she was absolutely beetroot in the face, Paul. I mean, she was beside herself with embarrassment. And, and like you, Anna, I mean, we're all tittering away in the biology lab. But that was our sex education. Is, is that not right? I mean, I'm thinking ping pong balls and an empty toilet roll. What, what's wrong with that? That sounds like fantastic. It's been a long time, Dawn. It's been a long time. <laughs> they probably still are doing stuff like that. But I love that we're talking about it. I love that you've just said you have the vaginal dryness. Do you take anything for it or you just never knew you could? Well, do you know, I, I'm i just wondering, Dawn, whether I... I did visit the chemist recently and I did get okay. an over-the-counter brand I will not name. Um, but I... <laughs> we'll, we'll message afterwards, hon. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. But do you know what was really weird? I'm going to be absolutely gross here. But because one's internal organs are so dry that you shed a load of skin first. So I sort of shed a load of gloopy, weird sort of moisture like, like your face had sloughed off but inside my vagina onto my pants and I was like what is this holy hell what is this and then suddenly suddenly your vagina becomes normal again but it, it actually I don't like the it, it makes me I don't know it makes me feel weird the pe- I, th- I find the pessary thing because I had to take a pessary when I was pregnant for something else does that not just come out like like I found there was a, again just like stuff in my underwear and I'm like I just don't want that every day so is that what happens with the vaginal dryness stuff as well so what you do is you use it at night so the estrogen pessary that's what, what I we used. normally do is we say every night for a fortnight and then just twice a week and then actually that's the kind of conventional way of taking it but I have a lot of ladies who will perhaps find that actually just once a week is enough for them or they might use it for a while and then they're okay and then they might have it use it again so I'm a great believer in sort of fine-tuning for each individual but the idea is that it is then absorbed that estrogen is absorbed into the local tissues overnight it's not quite the same as when you have a pessary for thrush which we we also treat with pessaries Mm -hmm. that's quite and people often say to me they feel like they've kind of got cottage cheese coming out in the morning but the pessaries are really effective pessaries all the non-hormonal cream I, you know i and i'm so i'm so glad we're talking about this because if we accept that over half of postmenopausal women suffer then that means there's a heck of a lot of women out there who's Perhaps their relationships are suffering as a result and they, they don't, they either accept it as part of getting older, part of the menopause, um, or they don't want to bother their doctor or to embarrass to talk to their doctor. And that's such a shame because it's so easily rectified. 
I bet yeah. Andy, the sound engineer, is enjoying this conversation, yeah. aren't you, Andy? <laughs> but he's I'd say he's, gla- he's glad his face isn't on the screen. <laughs> I have to say, my, my husband is non-medical, and every so often, you know, especially pre-pandemic, when I was up and down to London on, on trains and so on, and I'd be chattering away to somebody, you know, journalist or something about vaginal discharge or vaginal dryness, <laughs> and he's going, "Don't shush, shush," because <laughs> of course it's just it's just a, all in a day's work to me, and I kind of forget that some people might find this a bit squeamish. People are kind of funny about it though. Like again, going back to being pregnant, like you do have extra stuff down there when you're pregnant. And it's the same, I'm glad it's coming back at me again. My husband didn't even know what the menopause was up until about six months ago, honestly. And now I'm going to get him to listen to all these things so he knows what happens. But like, I would have thought, would lube not just work or that's just like a quick fix? So some people find that that's really helpful. They just use that or they use it as in foreplay. Uh, but it tends to be more of a gel than it is a cream. And if you think about it, when we put things on our face, we use a cream, don't we? We don't use ointments or gels because yeah. a cream has that extra lipid component, which is more soothing. So, yes, there's nothing wrong with using those things. The one thing I would say is be be wary of anything perfumed because our vaginas are naturally very slightly acidic. And if you use any perfumed product is slightly alkaline and that can then alter the pH in the vagina. And what that means is you can get an imbalance of the normal healthy bugs because we've all got billions of bugs in our vaginas um, and then they're you know they're they're in the right balance to keep everything healthy yeah. uh, if you if you make it alkaline you get out of kilter um anna you've probably seen more bits than anyone because you've been um doing naked attraction for years which i'm fascinated by like were you always just so like normal about it people just standing there you're looking at all their bits yeah i mean i i kind of feel you know like dawn probably sort of a sort of honorary doctor in a way I don't yeah. care we, we've we've all seen it all before it's a body we're normal and what I love about Naked Attraction is that when it was first pitched to me I was kind of like are you actually out of your minds with this I can't believe you got get so many people to do it though well no we, we can't stop them coming on but the point with Naked is that when we first talked about it Once we'd interrogated the format and realised that this is not a titillating show, there's nothing sexy about Naked Attraction. And once we'd sort of highlighted the fact that actually this is about acceptance and normalisation and it's about identity, then then I knew that I could justify doing it and I could justify it in the press and I knew that it would be a runaway success. Hence, we've been on air for the last five, six years. So, yeah, it's not a sexy show. It's, it's, It's funny, but it's about normalizing the body so yeah I I couldn't care less about seeing people's bits and bobs yeah well there's another thing though that I noticed about your show most people well a lot of them are shaved down there yeah like do you think Don is that like is that just a fashionable thing and some people like back in the day everyone just had a really just you wouldn't even see anything on their vagina so now that everything's shaved everything is just there to be seen and I wonder actually does shaving like because my mum always used to say that to me you shouldn't shave because that's dangerous because you'll get more infections is that true Don? So interestingly I very rarely see a lady under the age of 35 with any 
pubic hair or she has she's got that tiny Brazilian you know um and in fact I remember doing a thing in in Magaluf of all places with embarrassing bodies and we had a group of girls and sort of going around and saying you know do you how much of your hair do you remove or do you remove your hair and why and a lot of the girls said men you know they're a group of heterosexual girls and they said men prefer boys prefer it that way um and one girl bless her heart said well it's more natural isn't it and i thought well actually technically no <laughs> that you find if you leave it's nature alone exactly <laughs> opposite the other thing that i've really noticed especially with people on the show but also because i do wax you know when your hair starts to grow back and then sometimes you yes. get the ingrown hair but also occasionally you can get those slight vulval I don't know, cyst? Is it a cyst? The big spots. Like a massive yeah. spot. So that is, so you're absolutely right. If you wax or shave, when the hair grows back sometimes, especially in darker hair, because dark hair is coarser, uh, and so it can bury underneath the skin, and then it can act as a focus of infection. So you can get actually quite significant sized boils uh, yeah. in some women. So what you should do is if you're shaving shave in the direction of hair growth that will minimize the risk and then if you're after shaving or waxing very gently use a soft loofah on the area and what that does is it just takes that very top layer of skin off which prevents the hair from coming back underneath oh and the other thing the other thing you could do actually is for people who get and there is a condition called hydradenitis which is slightly different where you get recurrent boils and infections in usually in the armpits and around the groins Um, and for those people i advise that they wash in something called chlorhexidine four percent um i won't give you the trade name but if you go to your pharmacy you can buy it over the counter it's a pink liquid and that is just an antibacterial that will help to to keep the, the infection away so um, when I first joined general practice 25 plus years ago, I never saw a woman asking to have her labia trimmed. And what's happened over the last 25, 30 years is there's been a, a trend to wear thongs. So that makes you more aware of your labia and to remove your pubic hair and therefore you're more aware of your labia. Plus, I absolutely echo what Anna says about access to pornography. You know, when I was a kid, it was wrapped up in cellophane on the top shelf and Smith's yeah. and there's no way you could get to it. Now it's a couple of clicks away. So I think the combination of those things has seen that I now quite frequently see young women who are completely normal asking to have their labia trimmed. And in fact, we had so many people come in on embarrassing bodies wanting normal labia to be operated on. We actually went to an art school and we got a group of women to make moulds, cast moulds of their own vulvas. And then we put their names on underneath these little statue things and we put them all on stands and we asked the girls to go in and identify themselves. And the vast majority of them got it wrong. Um, But what it did was it showed that we do all come in different shapes and sizes. And Anna, hats off to you for Naked Attraction. People are always surprised with me as a doctor. They think that I should be sniffy about it. And I think young people today are so bombarded with body beautiful and face-tuned images and everything perfect. And we see so many kids with body um, self-esteem issues and and body dysmorphia and so on. And and it's it's fueled by this perfect culture. So to put something out on primetime television, showing us in all our different shapes and sizes, not just showing that, but also proving that 
different people find different things attractive. You know, yeah. I might look at things and go, well, obviously it's that one, obviously. And that's the one that's been kicked off, you know. And you think, yeah. isn't that brilliant? Because beauty really is in the eye of the beholder. And I think the show has done so much to counteract the damage that I'm seeing in young people. Oh, but that's very kind. Thank you, Dawn, because, you know, that is important to hear from a professional as well, because people are very quick to, as you say, deride it. And yet it's the most downloaded show on Channel 4. Mm. That's what I was going to say. That's what I think is so good about it, because you can see how different everybody is. Like, you, I never knew there were so many variations either. Like, everybody is just so different. And someone who would have something different to what they might have seen in, let's say, a porn film or something like that, because they're all very similar. It's nice for them to be able to see, oh, actually, I look more like that. Yes. I, I think the biggest thing that I've learned on the show, thinking about it, is exactly that, that we've always been taught, haven't we, that if you have exposed in a labia, so that if your labia are on display, that that's mm. somehow, you know, it's a bit it's a bit weird, it's a bit frilly, oh, that's all... Um, <laughs> when actually, one in two women do have exposed labia. So it's absolutely yeah. normal to have that. And I think that's been a really important message that it's normal. And actually it's very, it's very, it's very attractive. Some guys, some women absolutely love it. Um, it's normal. And where do you think though, the not knowing comes from? I knew it was somewhere down there, but it's, it's the whole thing. I, I think it's, as we highlighted earlier on, the fact that our parents didn't talk to us about our bodies I think the fact that we've had pretty poor sex education in schools. I mean, Dawn had a had an old loo role in ping pong balls. <laughs> I suspect mine involved frogs and a plastic model. Banana. A, a, a banana. I mean, no wonder we all got into so much trouble as teenagers. So <laughs> I just think that we've had chronic sex education. And now with with the internet, pornography. Mm. I've never actually seen anyone who's had surgery. I know I've had a couple of friends that actually wanted to get surgery on their own. How common is that? Far too common. And and what we need to remember is actually, um, I had a, a, a nurse patient who had gone off and, and had what turned out to be a too drastic labiaplasty. And she was beside herself because every time she went for a wee, her urine just splayed everywhere because our inner lips oh, are designed to channel your urine. Um, and if you take them away, then actually you just wet all the way down the insides of your thighs. And, and it was, it was, it had ruined her life. And we don't hear enough of that. And we, but we see far too much of young, usually young women who have decided probably through watching porn that they are abnormal when they are absolutely not. And I think as women, so, you know, Anna and I are in very different positions, privileged positions, if you like. We see lots and lots and lots of women. But most men will at least probably get a sort of sideways glance at a urinal about, you know, the different sizes of penises, or maybe they have, they're more likely to have um, group showers and so on at at school um, after sports. Whereas most certainly most straight women have probably not seen anybody else's. You yeah. know? So how so you've only so you've only got these sort of maybe pornographic images to compare yourself to and that can cause so much angst. And yeah, I I spend my 
my life, well, not my life, but I mean, I so frequently I say, you are completely normal. That, yeah, but people should watch your show to see that because even when I see it, I'm like, wow, I didn't really, like, there's so many different variations. But then, like, even some women don't look at their own property. Like, get yeah. a, get in front of a mirror, have a look, see what you're dealing with. Like, you, and as you said, they couldn't choose their own off, off, off a lineup. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So it's good, it's good to check them out. There's loads of different things that people end up doing with their vaginas. Obviously, we spoke about pubic hair. I think laser has a lot to do with that as well that came in and I, I would say I don't do it for men either I just kind of do it for myself I like the the neatness of it but what about piercings when people get piercings can that affect your vagina in a negative way because I mean even if you use the wrong shower gel you can end up getting something like thrush I, I have to say I, the one thing that slightly mesmerizes me is is why you would want to have your clitoris which is possibly the most sensitive part of a female body pierced. I mean, it just makes my eyes water even thinking about it. But any piercing, you know, any piercing can get infected. And so we do have to be mindful of that, you know, and I think we, I have to accept that, you know, for some people, it's, you know, it's their body, it's what they want to do. But I would really always encourage people to check out where you're getting your piercing done. I've seen way too many body piercings that have become really quite nastily infected. I mean, think about it. I had my, the top of my ear pierced over a year ago. That is so painful. A, it wrecked. B, it's taken a year. I mean, imagine, you know, when when that gets all kind of like gloopy and disgusting, imagine what goes on around your gooch and your, mm-hmm. and your oh, clitoris think, and oh your fafangula yeah, <laughs> leave the fafangulas alone <laughs> they've been through enough <laughs> yes exactly exactly it, it takes a battering anyway i mean why would you then pierce it well, okay, let's move away from talking about how they look. Now, vaginas, as we've already spoken about as well, because you two have been so open, we were talking about discharge. And I think some people might be quite concerned about discharge and what their discharge should look like. But like, don't women have some form of discharge every single day? We all yeah, we all have discharge. But the interesting thing is that discharge varies in each individual woman around Mm. the cycle and throughout their life and each woman's normal discharge might be very different okay so I think it's a case of knowing what's normal for you interestingly I I think it's fascinating that you know without mentioning brands whoever did the marketing for the most popular thrush treatment all those years ago did a phenomenal job because if I went out into the high street or Anna into the high street today and asked the first hundred people that I met, men and women, or this thrush, I reckon I'd get a nigh on 100% hit rate. If I asked them yeah. what is bacterial vaginosis, which is more common than thrush, only the women or their partners who suffered would know what it is. Um, it's very, very, it's just been so much less well discussed, talked about in the press, in, in, in conversation. Uh, and I see so many women who are self-treating thrush when actually they've got BV. Um, and sadly, women with BV, around about 30% of them have recurrent problems. So, you know, if that's you and, you, and you're not, you don't know what it is and you've not sought help and you've not had a diagnosis, then, you know, the chances are you're in a pretty bad way. Tell us, tell us what bacterial vaginosis is. 
Okay, so so thrush is a, a fungal infection. Okay, bacterial vaginosis is an overgrowth of natural bacteria. So I've already mentioned that our vaginas are teeming with good bacteria that keep everything so healthy. Going back to we were discussing that our vaginas are slightly acidic. Anything that makes your vagina slightly alkaline, and interestingly, that would be perfumed products, semen, um, and menstrual blood. Uh, So any of those things can change the pH of your vagina, and that can mean that you get an imbalance, so you get an overgrowth of certain bacteria, and that will cause symptoms that are often assumed to be thrush, but probably the really um, the key point for bacterial vaginosis is it often gives a quite a fishy odour, and that makes people feel really filthy. They're women really worry that anybody even standing next to them in a bus queue, for example, might be able to smell them. And of course, what would you do if you think you smell? Overwash. You would probably wash. Yeah. And the more you wash, the worse the imbalance of pH and the bacteria is. And you just end up in this terrible vicious cycle. So along with vaginal dryness, BV is something that I think we need to be talking about more because again, that can be so easily treated either with... so. Conventionally, we used to give antibiotics, but of course, we can then find that some poor women will get an attack of BV. We give them some antibiotics, usually directly into the vagina, then they get thrush. But in fact, you can buy lactic acid little pouches that you squeeze up into the vagina. And as soon as I say lactic acid, women go, oh, I'm not putting it in acidic. (laughs) It is the naturally acidic pH of our vagina. And all it does is it just rebalances the pH in the vagina. And I have some ladies, for example, you know, often I see women, if they're in a new relationship and they've not been using condoms, and so they've had unprotected sex and then they get a smelly discharge they straight away yeah. think they've got an sti and of course sometimes it is it needs to be checked out obviously but sometimes it is just bv and, and once you recognize the symptoms of bv you can buy these little things um, and i have some ladies who have it in store and they use it after a period because they know that after a period they're likely to get a flare or they use it if they've had unprotected sex and that just keeps everything in balance so even though you might, yeah, you might be embarrassed by something like that, but it could be just caused from something as simple as sex or your period. Yeah. So go get it checked. When should people start worrying about discharge? Like what's a normal kind of discharge to have? So normally we would say that your discharge tends to get a bit thicker and more mucousy after ovulation. So you, you if you are, uh, certainly women who use natural contraceptive methods, and so they use abstinence at their fertile period, they become very in tune with what their normal vaginal discharge would be like. But I think if your discharge is offensive, certainly if it's bloody, and or if it's just not normal for you, come and get it checked out. And, you know, really, if you want to see a lady doctor, most surgeries today do have the option to see a lady doctor. If your surgery doesn't, you can always go to a family planning clinic or to a sexual health clinic if you really want to see a woman. But I would say that, you know, we honestly have all seen it all before and your male doctor is not going to be embarrassed by a vaginal discharge. Please don't be embarrassed. Remember that you, you won't be the first. You certainly won't be the last. Your doctor's almost probably seen it this week and and will absolutely certainly have seen a worst case of it. So, you know, make that appointment and get it checked in. And that that changes as well, doesn't it? Presumably because you've just had a baby vogue. So, you know, the discharge will change around pregnancy and post-pregnancy and also Mm. menopause as as, as well as on, I'm thinking, because as discussed earlier on, we become so much drier. So so there's a sort of an absence. There is still some discharge, but there's 
absolutely an absence compared to when we were younger. And some women find that although the tissues after the menopause have become very dry, and this almost feels a little bit like I'm going to contradict myself now because you can have dry tissues, but you can also get a discharge. And I sometimes see older ladies who are aware of a, a discoloured discharge having gone through the menopause many years previously and, of course, are wondering what the heck's going on and feeling something awful, it's something awful. And it may just be that long-term lack of oestrogen which has caused the discharge. And what should we be, like, for products that you're using, the shower like I like to use the shower gel I use like a zero percent one that just has no perfume no nothing are they okay to use or do you need to get something from your local boots anything ph balanced I would recommend so not using anything perfumed um, yeah so anything with a natural ph is perfect okay and, and some ladies actually we use especially for women um so a lot of other skin conditions can also affect the vulva. So things like psoriasis particularly can affect the genital area. And often I, I get those ladies to use an aqueous cream. Uh, so it doesn't lather in the same way as a shower gel, for example, but actually it's quite soothing. But there are so many things to think about. Like even if you were, we were talking about thongs, like they can cause thrush. Certain cottons that you wear can cause thrush. And some people are more susceptible to it, aren't they? Yes. So natural fibres are always better. So cotton is better than anything like lycra or, or nylon man-made fibres. Um, but you are right. The friction of a thong can cause irritation yeah. down there. And so, you know, it may well be that actually giving up that particular ilk of sexy underwear is not a bad thing to do to be kind to your vagina and your vulva. Embrace the knicker line. <laughs> Embrace the big pants. We do see Anna loads of like ingrown hairs and stuff on the show. But one thing I thought of, if someone has their period... What happens? That is a really, really, really good point. That's a really good point. Do they still go on? We have had some girls who don't want to go on or uh, no shows because they've got their period. We yeah. do, of course, have um, menstruating girls on the show and they're wearing a tampon and we just have to cut and hide the string. Uh, yeah. So that, that's down to our makeup team. Imagine that. <laughs> um, but do you know what? I, that's a really good point. Will we ever get to that day where we have girls coming on who are going, I've got my period and yeah. I don't care. And, you know, maybe, you know, along with my discharge, here's a little bit. That would be very interesting because it's natural. It is natural. Yeah. And let's face it, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of gush down your legs, does it? It just tends no. to be like your discharge. It's just sort of... Flu a bit of fluid that's that's there. I think periods scare people still a little bit though, certainly men. Well, we did a thing on EB where we I was in Birmingham City Centre with this trestle table and some red fluid. And you remember when we were all at school we had those measuring cylinders of sort of you know, five hundred mils and forty mils and all this thing. And so we get people to come in, men and women, and just say, you know, what do you think is a normal amount of blood to lose during an average period. The truth is that anything over 80 mils is is deemed a heavy period. But honestly, I can't tell you the number of people that are coming in and they were pouring two litres of anything like, listen, you'd be in a really bad way if you were losing that every month. But it's amazing how, you know, and I liken it, I talked to, um, and this will be relevant to you, Vogue, so when your baby posses, they sort of, you know, they have that muscle at the bottom of their esophagus is, is not fully developed. And so after a meal, they'll quite often go, Whoop, and a little yeah. bit comes out at the top. 
But of course, a little bit goes an awful long way on your shoulder, doesn't it? And yeah. it just shows us that we our, our concept of what is a normal amount of blood to lose during a period is often way off. Yeah, I'd probably be way off with that as well. Do tampons affect anything to do with your vagina? No, so some some women, and it's very interestingly, actually, this is an interesting one, is because there are, without using brands, there are two main types, aren't there? There are the ones that you have an applicator, and then there are the digital ones that you can just you just poke up with your finger. And very interestingly, and I can't remember where I read this now, but whatever you start using, you stick with. So most women do not chop and change between an applicator or a digital tampon. They will yeah. stick, and, unless they have to. You know, say they're away somewhere and that's all they can get hold of. But they tend to stick with whatever they first used. Yeah. Uh, and some women some women do find that they you know, they get they get problems with tampons and they have to go back to pads. And, of course, I guess we ought to talk about toxic shock syndrome. It's thankfully very rare. But if you are using tampons, you should be removing them regularly because if they get – I mean, and I have – I mean, I've had countless women who've come in with – over the years with vaginal discharge. And when you have a look, there's an old tampon that they've forgotten. <laughs> it's been oh, stuck wow. up there and it's starting to get quite smelly <laughs> yeah. and needs to be removed. So, you know, thankfully toxic shock is rare, but of course it is a very real problem. And how, Dawn, I love <laughs> this kind of chat. So obviously if, if you have seen a patient – and she's forgotten her tampon that's been, you know, or maybe doubled up because I've done that occasionally yes, in my life. Where it's up, like, yeah. oh, I forgot mm. them as well. So are you actually having to remove, how do you get it out? So you use a speculum like you would to do a smear test. So it's like, you know, it's like that, oh, yeah. that instrument that looks like a duck bill and it goes into the vagina and you open it up and that means that I can see in. And then we use round-ended forceps and we literally just, pick hold of it and bring it out and it's often quite smelly and women are so embarrassed and think that they are the you know they're stupid and they're the only person i have to say believe you me (laughs) you are not the only person to have forgotten a tampon (laughs) well think about how many tampons we use in our lifetime it's bound to happen like it's happened to you Anna. it's happened to me it happens to everyone. I don't think it's something yeah. to be embarrassed about. And um, the same thing goes though for contraception. Is do contraceptives change the pH of your vagina if you're on the pill? Does it change your vaginal discharge or anything? So some people find if they are. So we've been talking a lot about vaginal dryness through after the menopause, um, but it can sometimes happen to younger women. And the most common reason for that would be using a progestogen dominant form of contraception. Because that is effectively the same as reducing your natural estrogen, isn't it? So you, so some women, for most it's not a problem at all, but for some ladies, I do have to juggle their contraception if they're very sensitive to finding that actually being on a progestogen-only form of contraception makes their vaginas feel dry, and so they need a different form of contraception. So absolutely, you know, and the, the thing is, you know, there are lots and lots and lots of different forms of contraception, and there, you know, there are lots and lots of different forms of the combined pill and of the mini pill. And the reason that the market can kind of sustain all of those different options is that finding the right form of contraception is a little bit like choosing the little black dress. Um, yeah. And let's face it, you know, what looks great on Anna may not work for me. What looks lovely on you today, Vogue, might not be quite so good in 15 years' time. So I think it's, you know, often if you go into, certainly for me, if, if a woman comes in and says she wants the pill, I assume that that conversation means 
I'm in a stable relationship. I don't want to use condoms anymore. I want something a bit more set and forget. And so we then talk about all the other options because quite often that's what they mean. They don't necessarily mean I want the combined pill. They just want a different option. And a lot of women don't know there's a huge variety of options open to us. There is a lot to think of. Okay, last question about vaginas. What about sex toys? If you're using different kinds of sex toys, if you're using different kinds of lubes, does that affect your vagina? Yes, especially if you're using perfumed lubes. But also you can, some sexually transmitted infections can be transmitted with sex toys. So certainly in new relationships, we would say actually use, for example, if you're using a dildo, cover it with a condom just as you would a penis you know it's exactly the same thing and certainly for you know I'm often asked by gay women if they really need to have a smear test and you know absolutely HPV can be transmitted on with sex toys and, and by skin to skin contact what? no mm. HPV could be oh I see mm. so you mean so in a lesbian relationship yes if you use it on on the girl and then you use it on yourself then HPV Oh, yes. So, yes. And a lot of lesbian women have had heterosexual relationships previously. Um, mm. And we know that the changes from that can occur with HPV. So, we, we're probably all, anybody who's sexually active has probably been exposed to HPV. That is crazy, by the way, to me. I like learning about that. How. Mm. Well, it doesn't have any symptoms in the short yeah. term. And, and so, you wouldn't know you've had it. Yeah. And for most of us, it's not a big deal because your body just clears it. But for some women, it it lingers. Um, more common in women who smoke because smoking affects your immune system. But other, for other women, it just lingers. And then let, over a period of years can cause changes that may ultimately, in many years, become cancerous. And that's why... So when we're doing smear tests, we're looking for... Well, it's all changing now. So we're actually looking for HPV because we know... I remember many years ago, I was training in something called colposcopy, which is where you, it's a special clinic where you get treated for changes in the cervix. And there was a professor at the Royal Free Hospital. And before we knew about HPV, he said, I remember him saying to me, cervical cancer is a sexually transmitted infection. Wow. And, and he said, you show me a nun who's got cervical cancer and I'll show you you didn't quite go as far as say a liar, but what he was saying was, you know, it is absolutely, um, so it's really important. Actually, that's a really important message that, you know, please do go for your smear test. They're not looking for cancer. They're looking to prevent cancer. Wow. Yeah. That is kind of mad. And it is mad how, um, how much of that does go around. I've, I do have one more question that I want to ask you both. Because you've seen so many vaginas yourself way more than any of us. What advice would you have for somebody who feels self-conscious about theirs and feels like there's something wrong about theirs or that there's something like there's some weird discharge? What advice would you have? To me, it's really simple. You almost certainly are normal, but if it's worrying you, go and see a GP. You can ask to see a lady if you want to. If you don't want to go to a surgery where you know everybody or, you know, sometimes, especially if you're in a rural area, you might know some of the receptionists and so on. You may feel a little Mm. um, inhibited by that. I would say, please don't. Our reception staff and our non-clinical staff are bound by the same rules of confidentiality as we are. So they ain't going to go home and say anything to anyone. It would be more than their job was worth. But if you 
for whatever reason, don't want to do your GP surgery, there are so many other options available to us now. You know, we've got walking clinics, we've got sexual health clinics, we've got family planning clinics. There's a, a lovely website, condomessentialwear.co.uk, and also on the NHS website, you can put in any postcode you want. So if you don't want to go local to home, maybe you work somewhere away or there's somewhere you could travel, you just pop in that postcode, it'll come up with a list of the clinics. Just get checked out because honestly, you know, chances are you're completely normal and that reassurance then can just put your mind at rest. And Anna, more on the appearance side for you, if somebody is feeling like their vagina doesn't look right or it's weird looking, what is your advice to them? I would say that Channel 4, this must have been probably a couple of years ago, did an amazing documentary, which you can still get hold of, called 100 Vaginas. And it was a woman who photographed 100 different vaginas and vulvas. Uh, And you can still get access to it. And it shows you our vulvas in all their glory. So I would say go and watch that and you will see just how how different we all are. In fact, the amazing comedian Bridget Christie describes vulvas as snowflakes made of gammon. And <sighs> she's she's absolutely right. We're, we're all completely different. You know, we all have our own personal snowflake. So just go and have a look. Well, thank you both so much. I loved our chats on vulvas and everything about them. Very educational and really good. And I think as well for people, listen to your own body like you would with anything else. Listen to like you'll notice if your discharge changes or anything like that. And be happy with your vagina. They're amazing. Much better than Willie's. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Dawn. Thanks, Vogue. Good to see you, Anna. And that is a wrap. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Anna Richardson and Dr. Don Harper for joining Taboo Talk today to what has been a truly eye-opening chat about vulvas. I have learned more in this chat than I did in the entire time I was at school. I guess that just reaffirms how amazing it is that we're talking about it. So thanks again. And to any listeners who've been affected by what they've heard and would like more information or support, please do reach out to your GP or visit the Boots online doctor service. Also check out Boots' massive range of vaginal health and sexual health products. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do remember to rate, review and subscribe. It really helps spread the word. Thanks again. Until next time, goodbye.